scripture that really spoke out to me, or there are a number of scriptures that really spoke out to me in this context, um, the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra. Um, so we're going to be looking at them very briefly. We've only got two sessions to cover this, so we will see what the Lord's going to do through us. But before I start teaching, I just want to open up in, with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word will go forth and accomplish what you need it to accomplish in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of this message today is Building God's House. Building God's House. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard horror stories of people who have sought to build their own house, where they've sent money overseas to get something built, but then when they actually got there, what they actually found was completely different to what they thought would be built. Has anyone ever had or heard of those sort of situations or experiences? It's not very nice, is it? You send, you send your hard-earned cash and you expect to get something as a result of that. And the Bible teaches us that God sent his son to die for us the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in the same way, God wants his church built. Something very interesting happened in the New Testament. And we, many of us have heard these scriptures before. And the danger is when you hear something so many times that you can forget its impact or we can misappropriate what it means to us. We think, oh, that's for the younger ones, that's for the new believers. But I just want to challenge all of us today, myself included, let's just hear God's word for what it says. Let's not justify or explain why we are an exception to what God's word actually says. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus asks the question, who do men say that I am? And as we know, the different disciples gave different explanations or different um, reasons or what people thought or who people thought Jesus was. But then he said, and who do you say that I am? And we understand that was important because Jesus was going to go back to the Father and he was going to send his Holy Spirit. But it was important that his disciples or his followers understood exactly who he was. And Peter says, you're the son of God. And in response to this, Jesus says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we know that when Jesus was referring to building his church, he wasn't referring to the apostle Peter. We thank God for the apostle Peter, but that's all he was. He was an apostle, okay? He was a saint just like the rest of us. We understand that what Jesus was actually saying, that it was based on the revelation of who Jesus is, that he will build his church, one of the things that the enemy is most anxious about for us as believers, for those of us who claim to know Christ, is to corrupt or undermine or water down who Jesus really is. Because it's our perception 
or our understanding about Jesus that will dictate the course of our life. It is how we understand who Jesus is and what that means in our unique situation, our place in the marketplace or at home, wherever God's placed us. It's your understanding, it's my understanding of who Jesus really is that will dictate what I can and cannot do. That's why when the army of Israel was facing the, the Philistines, and for many people, they saw a giant. They saw Goliath. And believe you me, he was a giant. He had the latest equipment. He had the latest technology. He was an experienced man of war. And there were experienced men of war who were facing Goliath and were terrified. The Bible says for 40 days, he would come and he would, he would roar out his accusation, his challenge to the people of Israel. And the Bible says that the people were greatly afraid. Not just a little bit afraid. Have you ever been so afraid where your heart feels like it's going to come out of your mouth? Have you ever had that terror, that fear? I've had that fear. I've had that terror. And it's horrible. No matter how much mental ascent or how much you try and convince yourself, it doesn't, it doesn't shift. The Bible says that they were dreadfully afraid. And they said, have you seen this man who's come up to defy Israel? And so David, who had been anointed as king some time before that, who went back to being a shepherd boy, his father Jesse had sent him to take some food for the captain of the army and also for his brothers. And the Bible says he came and he heard what Goliath had said. And he was shocked. Not shocked because he was thinking, oh my goodness, this giant, what am I going to do? He was confused. He was saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? In other words, in terms of the covenant, who, how dare he try and bring disrepute? How dare he try and belittle the God of Israel? And he, was, he, was, he couldn't understand it. As us Cockneys would say, he couldn't get his head around it. It's like, what is going on? And his, 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 how can I describe it? His wonder that this person could be so bold before the people of God, he couldn't, he just couldn't understand it, caused an interesting reaction to those around him. His brother thought it was his place to put him back in his place and say, you, where are those few sheep? Who are you? How can you come and tell us? We're experienced men of war and you're going on, well, you took, look, just go and look after your few sheep. And the Bible says, David turned. As the Ghanaians say, he didn't even mind him. He just turned. Because he knew his God. He knew his God in the secret place. He knew his God when no one else could see what was going on. And so when he was faced with this challenge, he wasn't moved by it. He was able to stand in faith, not because of how great or how strong or how anointed or how good looking or how, who he knew. It wasn't about that. It was about the glory of the name of his king, about Jehovah, about God. And so when Jesus said, it's upon this rock of revelation of who I am, that God's going to build his church. And beloved, God is going to build his church. God is going to build his church. He is going to build his church. And he said, and the gates of hell, the rulership, the authority of hell won't be able to stand against it. When you understand who Jesus is, wherever God has called you to build his church, you'll be able to build it. 
and the gates and the resistance of hell will not be able to stand against you. We're talking about building God's house. And it's interesting, Jesus used the analogy of a rock somewhere else when he spoke about the wise man who built his house on the rock. The wise man who built his house on the rock was the person who not only heard Jesus' teaching, but actually did them. Because the challenge for us isn't hearing good messages. That's not the issue. Very often the issue is us actually putting into practice what we know. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, that's where Jesus talks about not just being hearing, of, hearing God's word, but doing it. Because he said the winds and the, the winds and the rain and the floodwaters, they came. As for those, they're going to come. They're going to come. Whether we like it or not, whether we put our head in the sand and hope that we miss it, they're going to come. I mean, just look at our society today. Some of us were kind of hoping things wouldn't get that bad. Honey, I got some good news and bad news. The bad news is things are going to get darker. Things are going to get darker. But the good news is those that who know their God shall be strong and shall do great exploits. We have to know who he is so that he can build his church in us, through us, and with us. The scripture teaches that God made us in his image and in his likeness. And we're not supposed to make God into our image and our likeness. You may say, okay, what's that got to do with building God's church? Remember, we're talking about the revelation of who, he, who Jesus is in the context of building God's house, in the context of building his church. Every time you and I compromise God's word, his revelation, what Jesus says or what wisdom teaches, and we think it's okay, we're making God into our image. Let me say that again. Whenever you or I contradict or compromise God's word and think that it's okay, we're making God into our image. We are made in his image. We are supposed to reflect him. As we know, the moon has no light of its own. It reflects the light of the sun. And in the same way, we're supposed to reflect the light of our Father. And one of the ways we do that is by obeying his word, by following the leading of his Holy Spirit. And there are times within our Christian journey where we're confronted with things that we would really wish we weren't confronted with. There are certain teachings or certain principles in God's word that if we could rub them out of the Bible, we would. If we could pretend it wasn't there, it would make life so much easier. But we're not made, God's not made in our image. We are made in God's image. And it's important that we bear that in mind because as we go through this teaching, some of it might get a little bit uncomfortable, but that's okay. You know, um, just to slightly digress here, I've, I've, I recently went on a retreat. And those of you who know me know that I've got a very sweet tooth. And where I was staying, they had plum crumble and custard. Oh, and you could have your meals delivered to your room. And I had plum, plum crumble and custard for my lunch, or with my lunch, not even for my lunch, with my lunch. And I had it with my dinner. And I was completely sedentary throughout the whole three days. 
So then on day three, it was time to come home, and I put on my jeans, which normally have a bit of, bit of give. Oh my goodness, they were so uncomfortable. But it's good they were uncomfortable because it showed me what had happened as a result of what I had done. Do you understand? And, you know, whoever told you that being a Christian was about just being told what you want to hear, they lied to you. I'm so sorry. They lied. Because there were things that Jesus said at times where people thought, you know what, this is long. Forget it. I'm out of here. Nah, it's all right, mate. Maybe later. Remember in the 80s, you'd say, laters. I don't know if they still say that. Now it's like, laters, Jesus. It's all right. But seriously, brothers and sisters, it's okay. If some, sometimes the things we hear make us feel a bit uncomfortable. Because it means that maybe we've been a bit indisciplined in certain areas. And we've been able to get away with it. But now God's saying, uh, 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 it's time to rein that back in. Hence, no more apple crumble and custard for a while. Let's see the loose jacket. <laughs> Whenever we think it's okay to compromise God's word, there's a problem there. In Luke chapter 7, verse 35. Luke chapter 7, verse 35. Jesus in reference to John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And some of the people really liked John the Baptist and what he had to say, whereas others weren't too sure. And so Jesus gave an analogy that, you know, John the Baptist came, he was fasting and believing God, and, you know, he, he was doing all the external things. And the Pharisees said he had a demon. And then Jesus came, drinking wine, eating with tax collectors, and said he's a, he's a wine bibber and a glutton. But then at the end of it, Jesus says this in verse 35. But wisdom is justified by all her children. So basically, what Jesus was saying was that the end result of whatever it is I'm doing or professing will speak for itself. Wisdom is justified by its children. In other words, the wisdom, the insight, the plans and the thoughts with which we live our lives, what is the evidence? What is it producing? What is the fruit? What is the offspring of how we're living our lives? Because wisdom will be justified by its, by its children. Your perception... My perception of truth will always affect our destiny. Your perception, my perception of who Jesus really is will affect every single aspect of our lives. So Jesus said that he will build his church. But the funny thing is, even though Jesus will build his church, for some reason, unbeknownst to me, He's chosen us as fellow workers with him. When he created the heavens and the earths, when he created the worlds as we know it, he didn't use us, he didn't need our help, he just did it. 
But yet, when it comes to building his church, you and I have a role to play. Now, I'm going through all this just to lay a foundation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, it refers to us, the church, as God's fellow workers. The King James Version, the two, year 2000 version, calls it laborers together with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, it talks about as a body having many members, but yet it's one body. In Romans 12, verses 4 to 5, it talks about, again, many members having different functions, but yet it's still one body. And again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, again, that whole idea, that whole notion of many members, but one body. So first of all, God says that he will build his church and we're to partner with him. And secondly, the Bible also teaches that we are to partner together to build his church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17, it talks about if the whole body was an eye, I mean, what on earth? I mean, can you imagine if a giant eyeball walked? I don't even know how it would walk. What would it do? Squelch, roll, okay. Imagine if a giant eyeball, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But imagine if a giant eyeball rolled through those doors <laughs> and sat in a seat and the usher said to you, do you mind sitting next to the eyeball? You'd be, <laughs> you'd be freaked out, wouldn't you? Because that's just not normal. It's not normal. Or a giant ear flapped in. I don't know. I don't know. I can't even imagine it. It just doesn't make sense. But at times, our, our reality is as ridiculous as that when it comes to God's perspective on how we see church and how we see building God's, God's church. There are many different bodies, no, many different members of one body. Christ is the head, but each body has a different function. So everybody can't be the eyeball. Everybody can't be the ear. Because if you, all you had was an ear, how would you see? How would you? It doesn't work like that. But God knows what he's doing. And God knows how he's building his church. You know, I was speaking to somebody the other day, and they were talking about how um, there's a particular career path that they want to take in forensic um, medicine. But they said, oh, but I'm afraid because I, I just don't have the confidence to do it. Maybe if I was more confident, I'd be able to do it. And I said to them, you know, a few years ago, or maybe it was maybe it was about a year ago, I, I mean, we all have our struggles, I get that. And I was battling with the whole idea of being a public speaker. Because if you know me, I'm not into all this stuff, really. I'd be quite happy just sitting at the back and just keeping my head down and doing what I need to do behind the scenes. That is what I prefer. And I used to keep saying that, I used to keep saying that. And one day the Lord rebuked me and it was like, do you really think it's about you? I mean... <laughs> It's, it's not about you and what you're comfortable doing or what you think. You, it's, it's not about you. David was made king because of God for the people. Now, I'm not saying I'm King David. That's not what I'm saying. But the point I'm making is for David, whether he was on the mountainside looking after sheep, playing for Saul in the king's, in the king's court, or whether he was leading a nation or out fighting a battle, didn't really matter. Because it was never about him. It was about what God wanted him to do. So my point is this. It's never about you. And whenever we make it about us, we've missed the plot. 
Because pride has two faces. There's the pride where you big up your chest and say, yeah, I'm in the house. I'm, I'm God's woman. Yeah, I'm going to come and teach the people. Nonsense. It's nonsense. And then there's the other side. Oh, no, I can't do it. I'm a worm. No, no, don't ask me to. Both is about you. When you do that, it's about you. But it's not supposed to be about you. It's not supposed to be about me. It's about what's God saying. So if God says you're a nose, sniff. If God says you're an eye, look. If God says you're an ear, that's it. That's what it is. It's never about us. It's always about him and what he wants to do through us. And so wherever he, wherever he places us, that's where we're supposed to function. Wherever he places us, not where we place ourselves. Because we think we know best. Remember Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her children. And at times, the things that we think God is saying to us, he's not actually saying it. But we sometimes think, because we think it's a good idea, then surely God thinks it's a good idea. And it's, it's not a good idea because that's not what God's called you to do. And God is a good God, but he wants to develop us. Or I shouldn't say but, I should say and. He wants to develop, develop us. And so... You know, the easiest thing David could have done is just be sitting on the hillside playing his harp. And I'm sure he had a great time doing that. But that wasn't all that God had for him. And God's not just going to let us sit and just be in our comfort zone and just chill. No, it, it doesn't work like that. God will kick us out the nest if we need to. You know, when an eagle gets his eaglet to fly kicks them out the nest and they flap and they think they're going to crash and the eagle catches them just in time. They think, oh, thank, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> ah, I'm falling again. Because the, that's the only way that eagle's going to learn how to fly. And unfortunately, beloved, there are some of us, it's time. Honestly, we, it's not good. It really isn't. There are things that we're supposed to be doing to build God's house. And let me just look up at the ceiling so nobody thinks I'm talking to them. There are some of us, it's not good. There's some giants here that are sleeping and it's time to shake yourself and just get that. We've, we've, become, we've become a little bit lukewarm and a little bit backslidden when it comes to the things of God. And we're just kind of just, you know, I mean, we're not like sinning really really sinning I mean we might watch a few things we shouldn't watch and we might say a few things that we shouldn't say but you know we're still coming to church we're still you know and it's like what on earth that's not what God created for you that's not the destiny he has on your life again I'm just avoiding eye contact at all as much as possible so we're to partner together we're talking about building God's house um in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17, we looked at the fact that the whole body can't be an eye. It has different functions. And in John chapter 17, verse 23, Jesus, when he was praying to his father, 
emphasize the point that by our oneness that the world would know that we're his disciples. So it's kind of like it, it's the vertical connection with God when it comes to building his house primarily. And then it's the horizontal connection with one another. And it's important that we learn to understand that everybody's not like you. And everybody's not going to do it the way you think it should be done. But do you know what? That's okay. As long as the focus is on bringing honor and glory to Jesus, it's all right. Remember, different members of one body. And some of us, myself included, we need to get over ourselves and think that our way is the only way. There are other ways to do it. The thing that makes the difference is whether or not God anoints it and blesses it. Because that's what makes a difference. That's why when Paul was talking to the Corinthian church and some were saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. He was like, stop that nonsense. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. It's like, as my sister-in-law Sandra says, what on earth? No, it's not about that. One sows, one waters, but it's God that gives the increase. Talking about building God's house. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, in writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the peace or unity of the faith. And not so much this week, but next week, we're going to be looking at that. You know, it's all very well us building God's church, but if we don't know how to handle conflict, how to handle disagreements with each other, then it's, it, it won't work. I was recently, how much time have I got, Shaz? I was recently watching a documentary about the Black Panthers. Whatever your take is on them, whether you think they were brilliant or whether you think they were awful, what I understood was that um, one of the, uh, not Roosevelt, I've forgotten his name, the man who um, set up the FBI, can anyone remember his name? Huh? Edgar Hoover. He was horrified at the thought of these black people getting together to fight injustice. Whatever, whatever you know, I'm not trying to make a political statement here. This is my point. The way he was, at first he tried using force to destroy them. And to some degree, it was marginally successful. But then he had a mastermind idea. He said, what he'll do is he will create distrust and disunity amongst the different chapters of the Black Panther movement. So basically what he did, he would feed misinformation about each other. And what would happen is they would believe that. And then once they believed that, the work was done because they were so busy fighting amongst themselves, they ended up destroying themselves. And all the good that they could have done was completely lost. And at one point, one of the memos that he wrote, he said that we don't need to do any more. We've done enough. They'll end up destroying themselves. And that is something that the enemy often does with God's house. When God's trying to build his house, the enemy will come in and he'll sow seeds of discourse, of disunity, of misinformation. The other day I was talking to somebody and they said to me, somebody approached them and said this about somebody else. And they said to me, but I know that person 
And I know they would never say something like that. And I thought, look at that. Thank God for godly people. They said to themselves, no, I know that person. I know their character. And I know the experiences I've had with them. There is no way that person would say something like that. So I said, so what did you do? They said, I went to the person and said, listen, this person has said you said this, but I know you wouldn't say that. So the person said to the other one, come here. Right, you've said I've said this. Is that what I said? And the person was like, uh, well, <laughs> not exactly. What's my point? How you and I handle misinformation is vital if we are going to build God's house. The Bible says, do not be ignorant of the devil's devices. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But the point I'm making is that in Ephesians, Paul urged the church in Ephesus to endeavor, endeavor to keep the unity. So number one, Jesus will build his church, but he's called us to partner with him. Number two, we are to partner together. Number three, now my next question is this. How are you, how am I partnering with God to build his house? In Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 to 5. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 to 5. It says this, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says to me, the time has not come, so the, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. In other words, no, 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 it's not time to build God's house, there's too much going on in my own life, I, you know, I haven't got time for all this, I'm busy, I've got things to do, we're in exile, well, we're not, well, we're quite, we're kind of in exile, but if we want to go back, we can, but no, I'm going to give you the historical context of this in just a minute, but they said, the word of the Lord came, it, sorry, I'm getting, I'm so, I can't even get the words out, let me just start again, thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this people says, the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell, to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? So the people were saying, it's not a good time. In fact, that's not really what God's saying. It's not time to build God's house. And so then God says, oh, it's not time to build my house, but it's time to build yours in your, in your paneled houses. Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. I need to consider my ways. We need to consider our ways. It was time to build God's house. Now, I'm going to try and perform a miracle, okay? But I need someone to help me with a watch or a stopwatch. Anyone willing to help me here? No, I'm going to perform the miracle, not you. Don't worry. Okay, you've got a stopwatch, right? Come to the front, come to the front, come to the front. Quick, 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 quick. Right, I'm going to try, and in the next 
five minutes give you the history of the Old Testament. Okay, are you ready? Because then when I speak more about Haggai, you kind of get an understanding of why what you said was so significant. Okay, you're going to count me down. Ready? Uh, okay, I'll try five. Yeah, let's say four, I have to be five minutes. Okay, five minutes starting from now. Okay, go. Right, so basically what happened was God had delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. Yes, they had gone through the wilderness for 40 years. Yes, and then a whole generation died in the wilderness because they refused to believe God. Then a second generation rose up. We have the book of Deuteronomy where they gave the second, um, they said the law to the second time so the new generation would know what to do. So then what happened after that? The new generation was about to go into the promised land. And then what happened was they would defeat cities. And as they defeat a city, different, the different tribes would have their land allocated to them. Yes? So then they all had their own land, per se. And then what happened was through a series of uh, different situations and different circumstances, what would happen is God would raise up a judge because the, people, the children of Israel would turn their back on God and start worshipping idols and doing their own thing and basically saying, yeah, do you know what, God? I ain't really got time for you. I think I want to do things this way. And so God would raise up a judge. The judge would deliver the children of Israel. They'd repent, turn, come back to God, and then they'd backslide again. Until eventually they decided, you know what? Enough of this. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else. We're fed up of having to relate directly to God. Isn't it a bore sometimes having to be a Christian? Honestly. So they said, we want a king. And so Samuel, who was the last judge, was really upset. And God says, look, it's not you they're rejecting. It's me. So he gave them a king, a king that they would want, a king that would appeal to their natural senses. So we have King Saul, okay? And so we have the different kings that came after Saul until eventually we have, uh, let's see if we can find him, Rehoboam, Rehoboam, okay? He was the final king before the children of Israel were going to be sent to exile because what had happened was God kept telling them, sort your life out, sort your life out because if you don't sort your life out, you're out of here. And sometimes they would listen, sometimes they would, wouldn't. They had good kings, they had bad kings. And so when Rehoboam came, the people came to him and said, look, your dad was really strict with us, but if you treat us well, we'll serve you forever. So Rehoboam went to the wise men, the old men, and they said, yeah, if you treat these people well, you'll be a king, you know, you'll have a wonderful time, they'll be great. And then the Bible, the Bible says he went to the people who he grew up with. And they said, What? Do you know what? You show them who's boss. Don't mind these old, what do they know? They don't understand the time we're in. And so Rehoboam foolishly followed the advice of his contemporaries. And the Bible says the kingdom was split. They said, do you know what? What do we have to do with you? Clear off, we don't want to be your king. So we have this kingdom that was split, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. How am I doing? Okay, okay. So you've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So if you look at the book of um, the prophet, the prophetic books in the Bible, some of them are written specifically to the northern kingdom. Some of them are written specifically to the southern kingdom. And the same message was, sort your life out, honor God, because if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Because there's something coming, and if you're not right with God, you're going to be taken off into exile. And so if, first of all, the northern kingdom went into exile first. And then finally, the southern kingdom went into exile. Yes? Okay. So we have the book of Ezekiel and Daniel whilst they were in exile. And then the Bible says, as you know, Daniel was reading from the book of, Jer of Jeremiah that they would be in captivity for 70 years. Yes? And then he began to pray and then Michael appears and he says, oh, the prince of Persia withstood me. Blah, 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 blah. How am I doing? Oh, I've got one minute and 27 next to Okay. So then... Daniel, Ezekiel, Daniel, 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 Daniel. So then Daniel begins to pray. One man begins to pray. 
And then the Bible says God raises up an ungodly king and the ungodly king says, right, God's shown me that you need to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Yeah, I think I've done it. Yeah? Yeah, I've done it pretty much. Okay, thank you. You think, okay, right, you've shown us your Bible knowledge. No, 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 no. The point is this. The people of God had been, put, had been in exile. In other words, they had been taken as slaves and as captives from their land and taken, somebody, taken somewhere else. They were in a foreign land with foreign customs. And then God raises this king, this ungodly king, Cyrus. And this king says, whoever wants to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple... They should go. Not only should they go, I'm going to help them. I'm going to provide materials and things that they need to be able to do it. And so God raises up Zerubbabel, and through the prophet Ezra, or the scribe Ezra, they go back to Jerusalem, and the temple is in ruins. The temple is a place where people would come to see God, to serve God, to pray and to worship him. And they had an opportunity to rebuild this. And so that's why the Spirit of God was saying through Haggai, my house lays in ruins. And you're saying it's not time to build my house. And yet you've got time, you've got energy, you've got money, you've got the will to build your own house. Consider your ways. If we look in our nation today, the state of our church. And when I say church, I just don't mean CLF. I mean the church generally. I mean, I, I don't want you to answer me, okay? But I'm asking the question. How many of us here honestly, consistently have a daily time with God? I'm not talking about five minutes, ten minutes when you rush out the door. I'm on about we really pray and connect with God like we used to do. God's house needs to be built. We need to go back to that place of prayer and consecration. You know, Ezra was sent to build the temple and to build the people. And then after Ezra was sent, Nehemiah made inquiries about Jerusalem and he found out that the walls had been broken down. And he was so distressed that he cried out to God because he realized he had to do something. And he had a pretty cushy number. He was the cupbearer to the king. It doesn't just mean that he just carried the cup. It meant that he had a place of privilege, a place of trust. Because as you know, the cupbearer was the one who tasted the wine first. So if someone poisoned it, it was over. So the king had to have trusted him. Do you see? And even when he said to the king, I have to go, this is what I need to do, the queen even said, so how long are you going to be gone for? So there was a relationship there. Do you understand what I mean? But he wasn't prepared to allow his own comfort to, to dictate what needed to be done. He sought the God of heaven. And so, without getting ahead of myself... My question to us today is, how are we partnering with God to build his house? And this isn't a question in a vacuum, okay? Primarily, we have to be connected to the head. 
because even if we are busy or we make a commitment to, do, to help build, God, build God's house, if it's for any other reason than because of our relationship with God, we're in trouble. That's how people get burnt out, how people get disillusioned, how people feel unappreciated because they're doing it for the wrong reasons. But if you're connected to the head, whether you get a thank you or not, it, it really doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't. Whether people notice and appreciate it, couldn't really, not, I shouldn't say you shouldn't really, couldn't care less, but it's like, okay, do you understand? When you're connected to the head, you understand the rhythms and the timings of God. So when it's time to take, maybe, you know, take some time out, you do it, but it's not because you're just doing your own thing and no one can speak into it, but it's right and, and it's in order. And remember what I said, wisdom is justified by her children. In other words, the fruit of it speaks for itself that God's in it. You know, in Luke chapter um, 21, verse 34, Jesus said something. Luke chapter 21, verse 34. I'm doing this very quickly because of time. Luke chapter 21, verse 34. You know, I think it's in um, Timothy. I think it's Timothy. I'll find the right scripture and let you know next week. It says that in the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves. You know, I never understood that scripture before, talking about the last days. And then we click on Instagram. And they say, oh, I get it. Seriously. I'm like, look, look, I know I'm old school, okay? I don't even have a Facebook account. I had one. I couldn't be bothered. Just, you know. So I'm not saying Instagram's the devil, okay? I'm, I'm not saying that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what on earth? It's like, okay, yes, you're gorgeous. We get it. Just thought I'd throw that one in for free. Okay. <laughs> I better go and post one myself tonight, you know, after I've done open my mouth. You know how these things are. You say it in the next thing anyway. Okay. Right. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34, this is Jesus talking about the last days. And we are in the last days. I don't believe we're in the last of the last days, but I do believe we are in the last days. Okay. That would be a really good teaching session to do, wouldn't it? Signs of the times in the last days. What do you reckon? Yeah, that would be a good one to do. We'll speak to the boss when he gets back. Okay. Okay, so chapter um, 21, verse 34. Jesus said this, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. The International Standard Version says like this, Constantly be on your guard so that your hearts will not be loaded down with self-indulgence. Drunkenness. Drunkenness, yes, it's talking about overdoing of the alcohol, but not just alcohol. It's where you have no sense of restraint. Remember Paul said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful where it's overindulgence in things which in balance and in moderation is okay. But because of the season that we're living in, we need to be watchful. 
we need to be aware. Jesus said, take heed to yourselves. Don't worry about the person sitting next to you. Just concentrate on your own life and what you should and shouldn't be doing. But go and tell everyone they shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't do that. And then you yourself, you're getting up to all sorts of nonsense. No. That's why God says, judgment begins in the house of God. Anyway. Constantly be on your guard so that your hearts will not be loaded down with self-indulgence, drunkenness, and the worries of this life. Oh my goodness. The worries of this life. When Jesus spoke about the seeds and the thorns, love of other things, concerns for other things. And sometimes these things, they're not bad things, they're legitimate things. When um, the people said, it's not time to build your house, They had their own houses to build. Yes, they did, but God still expected and required them to build his house. We don't fulfill one principle at the expense of another. Wisdom is justified by its children. With all our busyness, with all our self-indulgence, are we satisfied? Do we have peace in our heart? Are we content with what God's doing in our lives? Are we constantly seeking for the next thing to be fascinated by, the next thing to fill the gap? It's because we've got our priorities upside down. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and just the bits of righteousness that don't press too hard. Mm -mm -mm. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all, all, all his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. As I've always said, as I've always said God providing for us is it's, it's not it's not a big deal, it really isn't. And that's why Malachi, when he was um, he was one of the prophets who was speaking to God's people when Nehemiah was trying to get him to build the walls. And if you ever read the book of Malachi, they're like, "But God, what's your problem? You know what I'm doing is great." And God's like, uh, no, you do this to your boss and see how he would like it. They say, but God, we're talking about our offerings, our, the things that we offer you are rubbish and no good. He says, you give me the blind, the blind sheep and the lame goats. Offer that to your master and see if he'd accept it. I mean, seriously, how are we serving God's house? If we served like that for our employer, some of us would have been sacked from time. I mean, can you imagine just not turning up to work? You just don't turn up. You don't call ahead. You don't put things, you just don't turn up because you're tired. In fact, even the thought, you just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. But then when it comes to God's house, we don't even blink. And we think it's okay. Just because you and I think it's okay doesn't make it okay. God said through the prophet, Consider your ways. Building God's house. Now, I'm going to close up with this message. We're going to continue next week in the context of us building together. Now, let me just say very clearly that in Christian Life Fellowship, we do not believe in forcing people to serve in his house. We, we, that's just not how we do it. You know, whatever you choose to do in God's house, it has to be because you want to do it as worship to God. Okay? 
And there are a number of um, ministries and departments that we have within our church. You think, ah, oh, see, that was just a plug to get us involved. <laughs> just a plug, wasn't it? It's was a sales pitch. Coming all heavy with the scripture. It's like, and that's what you could do in our church. <laughs> well, pretty much. No, no, I'm joking. Could you get the overhead ready? The reason why I'm doing this is because when we repent and we seek to get right with God, it's never in a vacuum. Does that make sense? Jesus said, when we repent, or why the, the apostle, not the apostle, John the Baptist said, show forth fruits of repentance. So you might be sitting here thinking, well, do you know what? I think God's speaking to me. So what am I going to do with it? So my question is, how are you, how am I partnering with God to build his house? Jesus said he's going to build his church. So my question is, what are we going to do to help him do that? And there are so many ways in which you can get involved. But it has to be by permission. We do not believe, and I just want to emphasize that, we don't believe in twisting people's arms to do things. Because <laughs> this is God's, I mean, seriously, this is God's church, and he's going to build his church regardless. With two, five, or a hundred, that, that's never the issue. The Bible teaches that there are many members and one body. Um, this isn't a concept that we've just um, made up to suit ourselves. So uh, what I want to do is I want to very briefly, very, very briefly, list some of the um, ministries in our church. And here's a challenge. I want you to prayerfully ask the Lord what he wants you to do. And if you feel God doesn't want you to do anything, then that's fine. But you may find there are certain things, as I mentioned, that you think, actually, do you know what? I think I'd like to get involved. I think I'd like to help with that. This is just an introduction. So I'm going to go through it now. Okay, so we have, first of all, we have our pastoral department. And this includes cells, men, women, youth, children, follow-up, inside out. And there is so much that we want to do to help us as a church but also help those in the wider community. So, for example, um, let's say the women. One of the things we would love to do is to set up a support group for those women in our midst who maybe are separated or divorced and need a forum where they can receive ministry and strength. Or maybe you're a lone parent and you want support in that area. Um, another thing we want to do, for example, with the children is what we want to do is equip the parents in the church whereby during key times of transition within education, we want to teach the parents. So let's say your child's in um, nursery. We want to teach you what you can do to help your child so that when they start reception, they're far above, far ahead of all the other children. Little things you can do. Or maybe they're about to sit their key stage two sats. Things that you can do to help develop their language skills, their spelling, their punctuation, their grammar different things we could do there. Um, follow up. We need people who take the time to show that they care when somebody's not around. Because very often we see, we know people aren't around, but we need people who are willing to maybe make a phone call and just say, hi, how are you doing? I haven't seen you. Is everything okay? 
Now, the person might not want to discuss it with you, but just to show your care and concern. The, members de the membership development program, this is something that we've developed to help new believers become fully-fledged ministers in God's house. So maybe you might want to get involved and help with the administration of it. Maybe you've been a Christian for a very long time and you could help with the teaching of it. Maybe you can't teach it, but maybe you've got surplus income so you could help sponsor somebody who wants to do one of the CLTI courses. The next one, protocol, I'm going through this really quickly. We have ushering, welcome, stage deco. I mean, we thank the Lord for this and, you know, we thank God for it. But there's a hell of a lot more we can do in making our stage look beautiful. There might be some of you here who've got a creative eye. You could say, you know, let's get some spotlights. Let's put them up there. I don't know. Let's have like some cherubs swinging from the top. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the, the, the bar. You, may, you might not be able to help every Sunday, but maybe once a month you're happy to load up refreshments in your car. So that, I mean, come on, wouldn't you like to have some nice hot croissants, some sandwiches, some cake, and proper made cake, you know? Wouldn't that be nice? But all that takes time, all that takes energy. And for it to be a success, we all have to get involved. Hospitality, when people come to our church, being there to make them a cup of tea, sit down, have a chat with them, making sure they're okay. The crash, you know, that crash, I mean, I thank God for the idea, but oh my goodness, every week I'm calling Paul, Andrew and Nicholas, could you carry the toys in for me or could you carry the toys out? But those of us who are mothers with young children, why don't we take ownership of that? So that we know every Sunday that creche is set up and it's packed down. And if it's not warm enough, the heaters are there. Everything's in place for things like that as well. Welcome. We need people to welcome our guests when they come into the church. And not just welcome our guests, but just welcome people generally. Audiovisual. We thank God for our AV department. Let's give them a hand. Week in, week out. Couldn't you do with some help? Couldn't you imagine if we had a team of 10? So only one, once a month you'd have to sit there and do that. Wouldn't that be great? We need help with the audiovisual. We need animation. We need video recording. We need people who can record the services. We can post them on, is it Facebook or YouTube on those things? Yes, 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 yes. Evangelism, the Alpha course, people to help host that. Street evangelism, salt and light, where we're trying to be relevant in our community. Prayer and intercession. We need people to, you know, there are some of us here that should be involved in prayer. And again, I'm looking up here. I'm not looking down there. Because, man, in the olden days, we would pray. Oh, my goodness. We would pray. I mean, I know one guy, he was so spiritual. When he would pray, he would body pop. Austin. Na, 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 na. No, so maybe you can't come to the prayer every morning, but maybe you, if, there's an, if there's an emergency situation, we know we can call on you for emergency prayer cover where we know you can set aside time for prayer. Or maybe you can open your home for prayer on a, on a, on a Tuesday morning between 6 and 7. There are many, many different ways we can get in. And, you know, time would hinder me to talk about P310, our wonderful seminars. We need people to help with the P310, you know, the publicity, um, the recording of it. CLF Publishing, we have our own publishing house. We need someone to design a website for us, someone to do our marketing for us. Um, creative Arts, we want to have a department whereby 
Whatever department whereby if there's a particular theme, we've got people who can write plays, who can do dance, who can do drama, who can write poetry, who can do the spoken word, someone who can be involved in social media, someone who can do designing and branding and marketing. There is so much that we need to do to see God's name built, to see his house built. And I am inviting us to prayerfully consider in the context of God's word, how we can help build God's house. And I'm sorry for going over time. Amen. Thank you.